Section two of Stories in Black and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Romance of Madame de Chanteloup by W. E. Norris. Part two. I was not aware of ever having maintained the contrary but i was sorely afraid that she would be driven into doing so before long for ayr pomeroy however noble and generous he might be was dependent upon his father and it was hardly in the nature of things that his father's nobility and generosity should display themselves in the especial form of which she appeared to be thinking still if my fullest sympathy and my best wishes could have done her any good they would have been as much at her service as i myself was unhappily neither i nor my sympathy could obliterate an episode of which every proof and detail was easily procurable i need scarcely say that the news of the comtesse de chanteloup's betrothal to her young compatriot and of the latter's impending admission into the bosom of the holy roman church was very soon brooded abroad nor is it necessary for me to add that this unexpected piece of intelligence set many tongues in motion i suppose pomeroy told everybody probably the countess herself was too proud to keep silence anyhow all paris was placed in possession of the fact and very sorry i was that all paris should thus be entitled to make observations which had they been reported to the persons chiefly concerned could hardly have failed to cause them pain for my own part i am not ashamed to acknowledge that i hoped the boy would stand to his guns seeing that if the worst came to the worst and his family cast him adrift his wife's fortune would suffice to keep him and her out of want he was only a boy after all arid no doubt and if i had been his father i should have done my utmost to restrain him from rashly compromising his whole future career but i was not his father i was both powerless and irresponsible and i could not for the life of me help inwardly espousing the cause of poor madame de chanteloup one afternoon an event for which i had been fully prepared took place my servant brought me a card which bore the name of sir francis pomeroy and announced that the gentleman was waiting to hear whether i would receive him of course i had to send out a request that he would do me the honour to come in i did not know much about him i had met him perhaps half a dozen times in years gone by i was intimate with some of his relations and i had written a polite reply to the letter of introduction which had been delivered to me by his son it seemed probable that he had now come to upbraid me for having led his son into a quay pens however the tall spare grey-headed gentleman who was presently ushered into my presence proved as reasonable in behaviour as lie was courteous in manner i have taken the liberty of calling upon you before letting ire know of my arrival mr wortley he began because it will make an unpleasant task somewhat easier for me if i can obtain beforehand from a disinterested source some account of all this unfortunate entanglement of his you will allow that it is an unfortunate entanglement i don't know that i should describe it as an entanglement i replied i suppose i must call it unfortunate by reason of certain rumours which are tolerably notorious and which may have reached your ears 
they have not only reached my ears said sir francis composedly but i have taken pains to verify them i have been at our embassy to-day and also at the legation for obvious reasons i suppress the nationality of the legation that he mentioned and the result is that i have been allowed to see documents which place the affair altogether out of the category of rumours there it all is in black and white the private or semi-private instructions of the prince's government the pressure brought to bear by our own people the comte de chanteloup's demands and his formal acknowledgment of the receipt of a sum of money for a specific purpose i was not it is true allowed to take copies of these papers and i was warned that they could never be made public but of course nothing of that kind is necessary for my purpose what i have seen amply justifies me in saying that i cannot permit my son to marry a woman with such a record as madame de chanteloup's i won't speak of his proposed change of religion it is a subject upon which i feel strongly but the point really doesn't arise and need not be alluded to my only wish is not to make myself more disagreeable to ire than i can help so i should be glad if you wouldn't mind telling me whether he is ignorant of the circumstances and whether in that event you had any good reason for keeping him in ignorance of them this was a little awkward but i made out as good a case as i could for myself and i tried also though i knew it would be useless to make out as good a case as i could for madame de chanteloup sir francis listened to me with perfect politeness and good temper he even expressed sympathy with the unfortunate lady who he said might very likely have been more sinned against than sinning only of course he added it's out of the question for my son to marry her you mean i could not help observing that you will forbid him to marry her isn't it possible though that he may insist upon marrying her notwithstanding your prohibition such a thing is possible but i cannot think it at all likely you see mr wortley both you and madame de chanteloup have well i won't say you have deceived him but at all events you haven't enlightened him it devolves upon me to do that and painful though the duty is i should be inexcusable if i evaded it i could not urge him to refrain from doing what any father would have done in his place but i did venture to remind him that he was not quite entitled to speak of madame de chanteloup as a woman of damaged reputation when all is said i remarked there remains a doubt and i think she might be allowed the benefit of it i have no wish to be uncharitable answered sir francis getting up but what there cannot be the slightest doubt about is that the comte de chanteloup was paid to marry this lady that the money was provided by the father of the present king and that mrs wilbraham threatened to make damaging disclosures if the required sum was not forthcoming from those undisputed facts most people would say that only one conclusion could be drawn i was not under any illusion as to what most people would say and in fact did say about this melancholy business yet i felt pretty sure that ire pomeroy would prove less amenable to reason than his father expected him to be it is perhaps a mistake to be generous and unsuspicious and i myself may be too old to be either the one or the other still i admire those qualities in my juniors and although as i have said i had been a little disappointed in madame de chanteloup for accepting ire 
i should have been still more disappointed in him if the revelation which he was about to hear had induced him to break with her at the same time it will be readily understood that i did not see my way to lending countenance or encouragement to filial rebellion so that when some hours later my young friend was announced i began at once by saying if you have come here to ask me to intercede for you with your father you have come upon a vain errand i warned you from the first remember that you would have trouble with him and now you must fight your own battle i haven't come upon any errand of that kind mr wortley answered the young man gravely and sadly and there is no quarrel between me and the governor who i must say has been as considerate as it was possible to be more considerate perhaps than some other people his tone was so absolutely the reverse of what i had anticipated that i was fairly taken aback and to tell the truth rather angered into the bargain meaning me i inquired well answered the young man seating himself and i noticed that there was a drawn look about his face while all the healthy color had deserted it i think you might have been more candid with me i can't help saying that i think i might have been more candidly dealt with if it had been a question of mere gossip i should have had nothing to complain of but i don't quite understand my having been allowed to remain in ignorance as to matters of fact why god bless my soul sir i exclaimed for in the days of my youth i had a hasty temper of which some traces still linger within me do you venture to rebuke me because i didn't poke my nose into the byways of diplomacy in order to blacken the fair fame of the very best woman with whom i have the honor to be acquainted who are you pray that i should stab a friend in the back to save you from committing an act of folly upon which you were bent you intend i take it to break faith with madame de chanteloup very well only if you are in any degree a gentleman you will account for your abandonment of her by affirming what i should think was perfectly true that your father's stalwart protestantism won't admit of a matrimonial alliance between his heir and a romanist the young fellow did not respond to my outburst by any counter-demonstration there is no use in using strong language mr wortley said he in the same calm despairing voice i am as unhappy as you could possibly wish me to be but i am not ashamed if what my father has told me is true and i am afraid that it is beyond question i can no more thinking of marrying the woman whom i love than i could think of disgracing myself and my family in any other way surely that must be obvious to you and i don't think it would be honest on my part to give her any reason except the real one for what you call my abandonment of her he was undeniably and exasperatingly in the right as you please i returned i can only say to you as i have said to your father that there is a doubt and that in my opinion madame de chanteloup ought to be allowed the benefit of it however it really doesn't signify because you don't mean to marry her and for the matter of that i never believed that you would and now as i have an engagement to keep and as i presume that you have nothing more to say i will ask you to be so kind as to excuse me but it seemed that he had something more to say it seemed to put things coarsely that he was desirous of employing me as a go-between and that he thought i might spare him some pain by taking a message from him to madame de chanteloup 
i need scarcely add that i emphatically decline to be employed in any such capacity you have ridden at a fence which you are afraid to take said i personally i don't care a straw whether you shirk it or break your neck over it it is no business of mine to find you in courage or to see you through difficulties i must write to her then he replied meekly and you may call me a coward if you like but i daren't trust myself to see her so he went his way and i confess that after he had departed my conscience reproached me a little for the severity with which i had treated him he was not really behaving so very badly he really had been deceived and i suppose it was the case that he owed some sacrifice of his personal inclinations to expediency and to the honor of the good old family whose name he bore still i could not forget my poor countess's radiant face as i had seen it when she emerged from st germain l'auxerroy and i could not for one instant believe that she had ever been a bad woman though hard facts demonstrated that she had been what to all worldly intents and purposes is the same thing on the following afternoon i called at her house i can't exactly say what my object was in doing so nor had i any expectation that i could be of the slightest use to her in her distress but having heard nothing of or from young pomeroy during the morning and being by no means sure that he would not leave paris without even bidding me good-bye i yielded to the feeling of restless uneasiness which had oppressed me ever since the conclusion of my interview with him if the reader likes to assume that i was prompted by mere vulgar curiosity i make the reader welcome to that assumption it would not be the first time that such a charge has been brought against me anyhow my curiosity was not gratified for i failed to obtain admission into madame de chanteloup's drawing-room madame la comtesse the servant informed me was très souffrante she had had one of her bad neuralgic headaches all day and had now gone to bed giving orders that she was on no account to be disturbed until the evening so i handed him my card mentioned that i would return to make inquiries on the morrow and went my way to the club where i remained until the clock warned me that it was time to go home and dress for a dinner-party to which i had been bidden a fiacre was turning away from my door just as i reached it and when i was about half-way upstairs i overtook Eyer pomeroy who was clinging to the banisters and who seemed scarcely able to put one foot before another what is the matter i exclaimed taking him by the arm what has happened for i saw by his ghastly face that some catastrophe must have occurred what has happened he repeated in a strange thick voice haven't you heard no of course you haven't she is dead that's all yes dead i don't know whether you can believe it or not i can't though there isn't a doubt about its being true to the best of my recollection i did not believe it i thought the lad must have been drinking or that he was the victim of some hallucination he was at all events incapable of expressing himself coherently it was only after i had got him into an armchair and had made him swallow a couple of glasses of wine that he recovered the use of his tongue and even then he remained so painfully agitated that i had difficulty in understanding what he said i gathered however that he had on the previous evening written such a letter to madame de chanteloup as he had intimated his intention of writing 
i received her answer he said an hour or perhaps it was two hours ago here it is read it and you will see you will see his voice broke and it was some seconds before he could resume of course i rushed at once to her house there was a great disturbance there i didn't understand what it was about but they tried to keep me back and i forced my way in all the doors were open the servants were in her bedroom sobbing and chattering i think there was a policeman there too i saw her lying on the bed dead and cold she had been ill and had taken an overdose of chloral they said i think i had better kill myself too for you will see in her letter that she was innocent and that i murdered her i quieted him as best i could but naturally i myself was somewhat overcome and even if i had had all my wits about me i don't know that i could have said very much to comfort him presently he sank back in his chair and motioned to me to read the letter which he had placed in my hand i need not quote the whole of it indeed i am not sure that had he been calmer he would have cared to let me see the opening sentences which conveyed an assurance of such passionate love as i should scarcely have supposed madame de chanteloup capable of penning and which even at that sad moment i could not help wondering at his having had the power to arouse but notwithstanding this or possibly on account of it the writer acquiesced without a murmur in the sentence which had been pronounced against her acknowledging that it was inevitable and only marvelling that she had ever imagined that it might be averted still she added now that all is over between us and since you cannot i think suspect me of any wish to bring you back to me i should like you to know that the truth is not quite so bad as you have been led to believe the prince paid me great attentions and my vanity was flattered by them i liked him very much although i did not love him i was scarcely more than a child i knew nothing of the world and when he used to talk about a morganatic marriage i saw no impossibility in such an arrangement indeed so far as i had any voice in the matter i had consented to this when all of a sudden i was told that he had gone away that i should never see him again that he had even been placed under a sort of arrest and that i was to marry monsieur de chanteloup of course i was very unhappy but i had always been completely under the control of my mother who told me that this was not a case for argument that she had done the very best she could for me and that i must bow to necessity it was not until after my marriage that i learnt from my husband by what infamous means the transaction which handed me over to him had been brought about i don't speak of my mother's share in it she was ambitious in her eagerness to make what she considered a magnificent alliance for me she probably committed herself to false statements which may afterwards have been used against her and from which she could find no honourable way of escape at any rate my husband's revelation came far too late to save or serve me if i had proclaimed my true story from the housetops not one person in a thousand would have believed it but you i hope will believe it and forgive the wrong i was so nearly doing you as i have forgiven those who have ruined my life there was a good deal more but i could only glance at the remainder of the letter for young pomeroy had started up from his recumbent attitude and his cold trembling fingers were laid upon my wrist well said he impatiently 
speak out don't be afraid of hurting me do you think she did it i was astonished at the question why i exclaimed you yourself told me just now that you were persuaded of her innocence and i must confess no no he interrupted fretfully you don't understand me as if i would let you dare to cast a doubt upon her innocence what i mean is do you think she killed herself i could only say as i had said in a previous instance that i thought she should be allowed the benefit of the doubt that is all that i can say or think now and although ayer pomeroy would have been better pleased i suppose if i could have given him the more positive assurance which he craved he did not presumably consider that the circumstances would justify him in fulfilling his own threat of self-destruction far from acting so foolishly and wickedly he has lately gratified his family by making a highly satisfactory marriage and i should not imagine that he has revisited pere lachaise since the dismal rainy day when he followed poor madame de chanteloup's remains to their last resting-place in that dreariest of all burial-grounds End of section two, part two, recording by Dion Jones, Salt Lake City, Utah.